So hello and welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Simon Hodgkins, and I'm delighted to be joined by Tatiana Sergeyeva. Uh, Tatiana is currently the Vice President, Credit Cards and Retail Services at Wells Fargo, an organization that's known the world over, and he's also on the World Chicago Board of Directors. Uh, this is a non-profit organization that promotes citizen diplomacy uh, through programs connecting, I suppose, the Chicago community to the wider world. Uh, she's fluent in five languages, which is incredible, and has lived in five countries. So a real global citizen joins us on the show today. Uh, Tatiana's experience goes across international consulting, financial services, content strategy, e-learning, and even publishing. So Tatiana, you're very welcome to the show today. Hi, Simon. Happy to be here. Thanks very much. Now, let's move on. Let's get into it. There's a lot to, to unpack there in the introduction that I just uh, read out for people. Um, your life, if I can say, has kind of danced a little bit around languages. I mentioned that you speak five languages. So listen, let's start with that. Tell us more about that. And when did you know that language was going to be a real part of your career path? Yeah, you know, Simon, I love this question and I love your metaphor. I'm going to steal that one from you, dancing around a language. So, yes, my love affair with languages started when I was eight years old. As you can tell by my very Russian name, I uh, was born and raised in, uh, in Russia. So born in Soviet Russia, actually. And uh, this may come as a surprise to some people, but even you know, during the Soviet times, we had these schools in the Soviet Union where kids would start learning a foreign language. Typically it was English, French, or Spanish at a pretty young age. So in my case, it was second grade. I started when I was eight. And the goal was essentially for these kids to become fluent by the time they graduate from high school. So um, my mom, who was a single mother raising two girls. Um, she became a widow at a very young age. You know, there was really not much she could do for us two girls um, to give us a better life, but she knew that she could give us good education, that she could give us, right? Because nobody can ever take your education away from you. So she really made sure that both my sister and I went to the school and that we learned the language and that we became fluent. The idea, of course, was that you know, speaking a foreign language may give you an opportunity, a possibility for a better life, for a better job, et cetera. So addition, additionally, my sister, who is 10 years older than me, also was going to the same school. And so when I was going to the first grade, she was just graduating from that same school and she was, you know, she was speaking English. And I just thought that she was the coolest person in the world. I absolutely idolized her. And I was going into the first grade uh, at the same time. And I would practice my English with her, you know, before entering school. And she would always make fun of my pronunciation. And I never thought that I would ever master the pronouncing the sound, right? Because it doesn't exist in, in Russian. So I was so looking forward to second grade this, because this is when I would be starting to learn English. And finally that day came and I went into my class and I met my amazing English teacher. And when it, the time came, you know, to speak and I just thought that speaking English was the best thing. I knew that this was what I was going to be doing that I wanted to do 24 seven. I just thought that it was the coolest thing. And this is when I knew 
this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I just want to speak English or other language, you know, just give me something, something other, another foreign language to speak. So I studied English and I just thought it was so much fun. And I was always looking for opportunities to uh, practice it with native speakers. But remember, I'm in Soviet Russia, so not too many opportunities to meet native English speakers, uh, you know, on the street. So I waited and waited. And finally, when I was 15, so eight years later, seven years later, I found out that I was shortlisted for an opportunity to uh, go and study in the US as part of a cultural exchange program. And I thought, well, my God, you know, that would be a dream come true. And um, so I went through a series of interviews with the Ministry of Education in the Soviet Union. And I passed those interviews and I learned that, yes, I'm going to be going. I'm going to be going to the US. I'm going to be living with the, an American family for a whole year. I'm going to be going to a US high school. I'm going to be speaking English every day, 24 seven. So, and when I arrived to the US, it was, you know, it was just, I was so ecstatic. This was a dream, my dream coming true. I was learning English and I, you know, I found out that at my school, they were also offering Spanish. And I thought, well, that school, you know, I love English so much. I'm sure I'm going to love Spanish just as much. So let me see if I can fit it into my schedule. And the first semester, unfortunately, I wasn't, wasn't able to do that. But second semester, uh, it worked out. I was able to take Spanish as part of uh, my, my daily schedule. So, and of course, I was very behind. Um, you know, everybody was a whole semester ahead of me, but I was determined to catch up. And it took me a few weeks to catch up. And when finally, you know, the teacher was very surprised. She couldn't understand how I could catch up so quickly and maybe even, you know, be a little bit more advanced than other kids. But I, that made me realize, well, maybe the reason why this is happening is because I already have another foreign language in my back pocket that is helping me learn Spanish, which was, um, you know, and that was what was giving me the edge over other kids. And I thought, well, this is so cool. I love Spanish again. You know, this is my new favorite language. And when the time came to uh, go to college, I said, well, okay, this is it. Spanish is going to be one of my majors. I picked another major. Um, business as, as another major and uh, you know with my again absolutely fell in love with Spanish in college my professors were native speakers and I just had so much fun communicating communicating with them and I think this is what this is when I really realized that I was when I was speaking with my professors who were native speakers of Spanish in Spanish I noticed how their eyes would light up I noticed that they would smile at me differently. They would speak to me differently. They would share different things with me. And this is what I understand. Well, this is how you connect to people from other cultures is by speaking their language to them. And so, you know, again, when the time came to go to grad school, I was absolutely determined to improve my Spanish, you know, to a near native level. <clears throat> and I went to Madrid and studied there and also picked up French and Italian along the way. I was at the Sorbonne. Uh, I took classes at Alliance Française as well as in college. And um, so this is kind of how it all came along. You know, all of these languages, I had a kind of a brief stint with Japanese as well. But um, so this is, this is how it all started. And I knew essentially, you know, when I was a very young girl that this is gonna be it. This is gonna be my life. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, uh, because 
it, it, it's an incredible story and it's a rich story. And I think that term that, that we used in terms of dancing with languages is, is very apt because, you know, from, you know, the single mom with two daughters and I suppose people often talk about the gift of education, don't they? Uh, and your ability to then converse and speak fluently with people in their 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 native language, their their sort of mother tongue, if you like, and you you describe that sort of sparkle in their eyes, and they open up a little bit more. And we often talk about you know making sure that the words that you're using resonate with the people, because you know there's a very famous saying in in this industry that if people can't understand it, they won't buy it. And you know the fact that you are speaking five languages, I think, is incredible. Uh, I think that's that's you that's have really to, yeah, so. you touch their hearts. Absolutely. You do absolutely. It makes an emotional an emotional contact. Yeah, you're an right. Emotional connection. I agree. Well, listen, let's let's move the story on a little bit for our listeners. Um, so you started working as a teacher then, right? And you moved also into the editorial world. And I mentioned publishing earlier on. So I'd like you to maybe tell me a little bit about that. And I know that then sort of brings you into the localization industry. So, you know, I'm interested in finding out about the teaching, the editorial world, the move into localization. What were the sort of the decision-making paths that you took? And then, of course, you have a natural uh, flair and, and, and love of language. So it seems to be a, an obvious fit that you, you're in the localization. So could you just maybe unpack that a little bit for us? Sure, yes. And, you know, even though, Simon, you mentioned three different industries, which seemingly are different, but uh, for me, they, there was a lot of connectivity between them. So I, yes, my career started in teaching and education, and I never wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> so this was, I loved my teachers. I always had great admiration for teachers. I played teachers when I was little, but this was not something, a career path that I really considered. So when I graduated, uh, I completed my master's degree. Time came for me to look for a job. And I wanted to kind of, you know, continue my life in the United States. So I started to look for work um, here in the US. And I sent out a few applications and I, you know, wasn't getting really a lot of responses. But finally, when I did get a response, it was from a private school in Chicago that was looking for a Spanish teacher. And I said, well, okay, um, I love Spanish. I'm not sure about teaching, but this school was also willing to sponsor me for uh, a work visa. And I'm sure that a lot of you listeners understand, you know, the importance of uh, those words, that meant a lot. And I said, okay, well, let's give it a try. So I accepted the position and my teaching journey started and it lasted for entire eight years. It was a long time. And now that I look back at my teaching career, I just, you know, remember these were some of the most remarkable, touching, uh, enriching days of my career. I built very strong relationships with my students. I still call them my kids. I still uh, am in touch with them. And I think that, you know, we really made a difference in each other's lives. They definitely have lots of influence on me. I, I'm, you know, I'm sure I had influence in, in, in some of their lives. So, but then after eight years, I said, well, you know, this was a great ride. I want to do something else. And I started looking into the editorial world because, you know, there lots of publishing houses have international operations. 
or they um, offer products for the US Hispanic market. So I would was able to use my Spanish no matter what. So I came across uh, a publishing house, a fairly well-known publishing house, Encyclopedia Britannica, which surprisingly is headquartered in Chicago, but they, uh, their international operations are quite extensive. Um, and so they needed a project manager who would be able to manage their international projects. But at that time, most of their products were on the print side, right? So this was, um, I want to say 2008, right? So lots of print products, but they also needed somebody. They also needed a Spanish editor because uh, a lot of their products were published in Spanish. So I thought, well, this is great. You know, I'll be able to uh, use my Russian and maybe my French, definitely my Spanish, communicate with people from all over the world and manage these projects. This is perfect. So I joined and uh, this is indeed what was happening. I loved every minute of it. Um, but then also, of course, eventually the company's operations evolved uh, and were mainly, the products were mainly digital. So this is when I really started getting into localization. So the kind of the transition was very organic and um, the, we were offering products for primarily for Latin America in, in Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese. So this is where I really got uh, you know, to, to um, uh, kind of wet my feet in the localization area. So I was working cross-functionally. I was able to um, deal with our you know, third-party vendors in Latin America and uh, you know, whatever contractors that we were hiring at the time and really work with the product teams to make sure that the product, the features, the content that we were offering really resonated with our um, international audiences. So, and you know, this is how, how it kind of all evolved. Uh, just absolutely wonderful journey to learn so much along the way. But um, this is how it all was happening. Well, that's great, isn't it? So from the, the sort of education years into teaching Spanish, right? And then Correct. from there into this publishing editorial world. And then, of course, the, the crossover then into localization makes an awful lot of sense. And because you're in this world, can I ask you just from a personal perspective, what do you love about the localization, localization industry? What do you like about it? Yeah, so for me, and we just, you know, really kind of touched briefly, briefly on this. It's really um, understand well how you can connect to the people that you're trying to reach and really touch their hearts and increase your trust and really offer them what they want. So I think it's really, there's a very creative process also that comes along with it. Not, you know, just not having a lot of knowledge is not, I don't think it's really enough. So I love that combination of your, you know, previous experience and then the knowledge that you gained and also the creativity that it gives you along the way. So this is, you know, this is something that I personally personally love about localization 100%, 100%. Uh, and I think as as the world keeps turning we realize just how important this area is because if we think about ourselves as global citizens and we're all connected in some shape or form this being able to be understood and to to reach people and to actually connect with people it's so important isn't it and I think big brands are getting that more and more um and uh, obviously coming from a publishing and a language background, it, it kind of makes sense. But I think wider general business areas are really uh, waking up or if they're already in it, 
are really starting to realize that this isn't a cost center. This is a real strategic driver, isn't it? It's a really absolutely hundred percent agree. And yeah. yes, you know, it's, it's very exciting. I think, especially for some brands, some brands are doing it better, better than others, but it's really exciting to see the right steps in the right direction. So let's, let's move on again. Uh, I mean, this is fascinating. Let's move on because I want to touch on, um, and I know, I know there's things going on. You've mentioned Chicago a few times and you're involved in, in World Chicago, as I mentioned earlier. So could you just explain to people that maybe not in the know, what is this World Chicago um, operation that you're, in, you're involved in? You know, I know you're on the board of directors there, but just help us understand a little bit about that, would you? Yes, I would love to. So my story with World Chicago is really pretty interesting. So a few years ago, I really, you know, was started started to think that well, I would love to join a board of a not-for-profit, and I didn't really have a specific organization at the top of my list that I was so passionate about. But what I knew was that this organization had to have as part of its mission cultural exchanges, right? So it had to allow people to experience other cultures firsthand. And needless to say, you know, as I already told you, my experience as an exchange student in the United States was absolutely groundbreaking for me. I mean, it was life-changing in every sense of this world, word, sorry. And I really thought that if I could help other people to experience what I experienced, it will, you know, not only help them um, have, you know, improve their lives, change their lives, but it will also help them make a difference in their communities, right? So I started to do my search as to what organization I wanted um, to join as a board member. And I did a Google search, Simon, a plain old Google search. And I um, searched for organizations in Chicago and a list came up and some of the organizations I was pretty familiar with, but there was one specific organization that really stuck out and really started to resonate with me, and it was World Chicago. And the mission of this organization is essentially, like you said before, citizen diplomacy, meaning that they give opportunities to professionals and youth all over the world to connect with Chicago and vice versa. They give the opportunity to Chicagoans to host these visitors, professionals, young students, et cetera, so that there is this firsthand uh, cultural exchange. So, and I thought that this was, this is just amazing. This is spectacular. I want to help advance this mission. So I signed up to this organization's newsletter. I said, okay, well, let me learn more, a little bit more about them, about their programming and what they're all about. So I signed up to the newsletter. I was following the newsletter pretty closely for several months and participated in some of their events. I learned more about their programs. And then finally, in one of the newsletters, the president, there was a message from the president and it said that we are looking to add additional board members to our board. And if you're interested, contact contact us. And that's what I did. And we had a conversation with the president and she kind of explained to me that uh, when a potential board member contacts them about joining the board, they have them volunteer uh, on a committee for a year to make sure that this is a, you know, a good fit for everybody. So I joined the organization as a volunteer to be part of their marketing and PR committee. And I worked there for a year. I helped with their communication strategy. And then finally, just a few months ago, I was voted in as an official board member 
And so now uh, I chair the marketing and PR committee and I'm part of the human resources committee and I am part of the executive committee. And essentially, you know, now I am really in the middle of all of these programs, all of these wonderful programs that the organization offers to uh, people all over the world. So if you guys, you know, if, if your listeners are interested, be sure to check out worldchicago.org. This year is our 70th anniversary. Uh, the organization works very closely with the U.S. Department of State. So, um, there, you know, there's just a, it's a really, really, you know, a gem of an organization. So, and I'm so, I'm so, so excited to be on the board there. Well, congratulations on your board position. It sounds like a, a really interesting organization and sure, I'm sure our listeners will, will check it out. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, I suppose the thing that we haven't touched on, which I'm, which I'm keen to explore as well, is we mentioned Wells Fargo, didn't we? And you've been working there for quite a number of years now. And the financial industry, I suppose, it continues to, to go through changes, doesn't it? There's a lot of technology changes. There's a lot of uh, global uh, changes taking place within the whole financial fintech world. And of course, Wells Fargo are front and center in, in that financial industry. Now, uh, my understanding is that you you work heavily in their sort of product area, you know, in terms of looking at product management, but you also take, you know, there's in-country language and customer experience. So could you maybe share a little bit about your your role in Wells Fargo and a little bit about what are the kind of things that you're focused on at the moment? Oh, sure. Absolutely. And I think that, Simon, uh, your listeners may find it interesting that I actually joined the organization um, as a part of the corporate communications team in the beginning. So this is where I originally started. And again, it's it was once again, thanks to my knowledge of Spanish. So uh, the team, the corporate communications team that I joined nearly four years ago, uh, and I was with the team for about three years. And so it's the team is all about diverse segments communications. And so when you think of a US bank, um, you know, they you know, certainly cater to different, uh, different diverse segments. So not just linguistically diverse segments. So when we talk about US, it's US Hispanic, US Asian segments, but also LGBTQ, um, people with disabilities, veterans. So these were the segments that our team concentrated on. And so I came um, on board as part of corporate communications to really lead the in-language strategy for the CorpCom team for the linguistically diverse segments, right? So US Hispanic, US Asian. And I also did quite a bit of translation for the, for the company as well. So again, this was not uh, customer facing communications. These were the external facing communications. External facing communications, meaning the media and the communities um, that, the, uh, that the bank serves. So, and I thought that, you know, this was just so cool. And oh, naturally I got interested in other diverse segments and um, later, my position evolved into uh, also doing financial health communications. And given my you know, big passion for the ling linguistically diverse communities, I also made sure that I was advocating for creating those same types of communications for our lingu linguistically diverse communities. So I did that for a while and I thought that this was, um, you know, this was just so exciting and it really made me feel like was, I was making a difference because, you know, as you may be aware, financial health information may not be widely available to linguistically diverse communities and we really wanted to make sure that 
uh, we were sharing it with them and making sure that they were aware of the uh, possibilities that were out there. So, but then uh, after a while, I really kind of, you know, realized that, well, I really would love to get that experience on the business side of things. My, you know, one of my bachelor's degrees is business. I never really got a lot, a lot to do with it. So I'm like, why don't I try my skills um, on the business side? And there was a, a role open in consumer lending, uh, specifically in the credit cards business. And actually a lot of it evolves around content management. And because again, in the US, you know, we have to um, offer our content both in English and in Spanish when you come, when you think of financial services. So I thought, well, this is great. I'm going to be continuing to, um, you know, still uh, create, uh, develop content for our U.S. Hispanic audience and really make sure that we continue to provide the best experience for them possible. And even though it's not technically, you know, an integral part of my role, Given my background, I continue to be a fierce advocate of creating those experiences for our di linguistically diverse audiences here in the US that, you know, where we make sure that we, the content resonates, where we're sure that we, we're, we're making sure that we're really connecting and we're really building trust with those communities. So again, you know, as we uh, develop digital products uh, here in Wells Fargo, uh, when when they're uh, when we're launching new products or you know when we're making adjustments to products, my first questions in meetings as well: What are we doing for the U.S. Hispanic segment, and how are we making sure that we're really delivering um, the best product for their needs? No, absolutely, and it's interesting. You you made me think about that. that there's a friend of mine who actually works in the financial industry, not in Wells Fargo, in another organization. But I can remember a conversation I had with this gentleman probably four or five years ago when he was saying to me, the, the gap in financial information outside of, say, their, their sort of standard language uh, offerings was, was huge. And he, there, was a, there was a lot of regulations that came in. I can't remember the year exactly, but there's an awful lot of regulations that came in. And there's an awful lot when you look at banking and finance where that, that in, the importance of not just financial translation i suppose but the education of people with financial goods and services it, it's really an important area isn't it and it's great to hear your your sort of champion that cause within absolutely yeah. yes and the gap in financial information is very real you know yeah. at least in the u.s for financial for uh, linguistically diverse communities so yes absolutely you know i'm doing everything that i can to advocate for those communities and really make sure that um you know we what the information that we offer re really reaches them and that it's accessible for them and really helps them you know build better lives for themselves absolutely so look we're heading towards the end of our time together it's gone by so quick but there's a couple of things i just want to ask you if i can um so we talked about language of course and you know five languages um any any more are you learning anything else or are you happy at the five i mean I, oh my god i'd, I'd be any, very happy at five anytime i mean i i honestly i can't wait to get back to language learning um i have a 12 year old son so you know that that takes i really want to make sure that i spend time with him but actually he's fluent in chinese so and even though chinese is one of my languages but when he started learning it in, in his um, immersion program, I kind of, you know, try to um, say some words. And of course he just thinks I'm no good and, and I will never get it. But 
you know, maybe, maybe not. I have to catch up uh, to my son. Yeah, that's wonderful. That that sounds like the project for sure. That's great. And um, I suppose the last thing I wanted to ask you is we talked a little bit about World Chicago earlier on, but is there anything else you'd like to maybe share with that community? Yes, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, this opportunity will really uh, be, you know, applicable or resonate with um, at least some of you listeners. I'm sure there are uh, people who would absolutely be interested in this. And, and, you know, and again, I think, you know, we just, I just talked about, uh, you know, really the necessity of taking opportunities when you, they come your way to, you know, that helps us grow and that helps us enrich our lives and it helps us enrich other people's lives. So um, if we don't know about opportunities, we may not necessarily take them. So I wanted to share an opportunity with your listeners. And this opportunity is part of, part of World Chicago. It's a program that um, World Chicago coordinates in partnership with the U.S. Department of State. And this program is called YTILI. So it's an acronym, Y-T-I-L-I. And it stands for Young Transatlantic Innovative Leadership Initiative. I think I got that right. Hopefully I got that right. But um, this is an opportunity that allows emerging entrepreneurs from Europe who are making a difference in their communities. It allows them to uh, come to the US for a period of several weeks, I believe it's five weeks, and have a fellowship program and experience operations in the same industry, the way that they're done in the US, get that experience and you know, which will help, help, hopefully help them advance their business, build their business, and continue to make, you know, allow them to continue making a difference in their communities. Um, so, they, I, you know, if you if you're listening um, to this episode, uh, you know, in 2020, the application deadline for this program is uh, March 15. You can find information on YTILI, Y-T-I-L-I dot org, and um, the application is there. The requirements are there. In case you're listening uh, to this podcast after the deadline, then you can just bookmark this page and apply next year. This is a, an annual program, so we're looking for a new cohort now. If this is an opportunity that sounds interesting, which I hope it does, uh, we would love for you to apply. That, that sounds very interesting. And can I ask, is it, a, is it a brand new program or has it been going for a number of years? It has been going on for a number of years. In fact, um, this year's cohort will be an in-person cohort. At least that's the plan for right now. So we are very excited about that. Um, so yes, it's, it's been going on for a few years already. Well, that, that's fantastic. And we'll share, we'll share some links to that when we publish Thank the, you the episode. Thank you so much, Simon. Much appreciated. No, that's great. So thank you very much indeed for sharing that. So look, that kind of brings us to the end of our time. Thank you so much indeed, Tatiana. It's been a pleasure. This was so much fun. Thanks for inviting me, Simon. Well, look, that's the end of today's show with Tatiana Sergeyeva. And, you know, please do make sure to tune in again to see and or listen to the next Vista Talk show. Uh, we'll be once again discussing more interesting topics with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you, Simon.